0: Unfortunately, I won't be able to entertain your questions as I'm presenting. Uh, my son is in his element, and so he's giving the orders. And so he has me on a tight time schedule. So I've got to move through this information, and I've got to move through it rapidly. What I would encourage you to do is to pull out paper and pencil, and if you have questions that you may need to ask You can ask in the panel discussion later on, and I'll be more than uh, happy to answer those questions for you. But before I get started, um, after Pastor Yolorda talked about um, self and and how self manifests itself in in us, you know, when you get up front like this, it's very easy To want for self to raise its head and manifest itself. And you do this because you want to exalt yourself. I don't want to exalt myself this afternoon. It's such a grave topic. I want Jesus' message to go forth because it's an important message. So I'm going to pray and ask the Holy Spirit if it would teach this session for me and use me in whatever way. She chooses. And I will will be careful to give the Lord the praise and the glory and the honor for the opportunity to be used. Let us pray. Father God, it is not of us that we volunteer to be in your service. At least for me, Father, it's easier to just sit and take it all in and there's been a lot to take in for this last weekend but i've learned that you want us not just to take it all in uh, like the dead sea you want us to take it in and and share it and so father these are my humble attempts at sharing and so i ask in the name of jesus that you would baptize all of us in your, with your Holy Spirit, that your Holy Spirit will teach this session. And Lord, that your will will be done, that Glenville will become the place where it's safe for everyone to come, that the enemy will not gain a stronghold here, and that your word will be glorified and edified, and souls will be won to the kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, I'm sure that when the decision was made to run a series of, and these are evangelistic meetings, um, just on the the family life and, and our lives and our relationship with each other, I'm sure there were some conservatives like me, I grew up in the Seventh-day Adventist church, and, and I remember when I was here the last time, Raymond Poole and I would sit and talk about how things used to be. So, uh, you know, I, I grew up early Adventism, and things were kind of different for me, and, and I grew up as a Bible worker, working in ten efforts, getting people to come, even before I became an adult. That was uh, part of what I did. And so this 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 forty for the family evangelistic series. You know, I've never gone through anything. I've never seen anything like that before. You know, my my tradition comes from if you're not uh, teaching the twenty seven fundamental beliefs, right. you're not teaching evangelistic That's meetings. Right, yeah. Do I have a witness here? Somebody understand what I'm saying? But you know. Um, God is relevant. Go. We're the ones that get stuck in a rut and get stuck in a position where things need to be a certain way. God is very relevant. And for, um, for us to look at issues that are destroying us, that's to look at issues that's preventing us From spreading the gospel like we should. From being the kind of Christians that we should be. For us to take the time to look at that. God is glorified. Not only is he glorified. People are freed. They're freed to do what God wants them to do. So you know, when the enemy strikes in and says, well, no, that sounds different and it's got to be the 2300-day prophecy in order for it to be church. Then we get to a point where we don't really understand how God is going to finish the work that he has given us to do. There would be no need for the presentation that I'm about to make there would be no need for it if there was not a need for forty for the family. Amen. There would be no, there would have been no work for me as an attorney in defending the church if all of us had it together as far as forty for the family. The problem is we have Bible believing. Doctrine believing, Adventist supporting people who are hurt, who are dysfunctional, who are having problems that are causing problems for our church. And when we stay in one particular area where we don't acknowledge and deal with the issues that have us bound, Then what we're doing, in essence, is people keeping people bound where they cannot be all that God wants them to be. So you gotta understand when I when I heard what was happening here and I saw it, I quickly related back to the experiences that I've had only in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And I knew that there's a need for this there's a need for this i don't know where the rest of us come from where you come from a very perfect society from a perfect that Glenville is very perfect and you don't have any 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 any, any uh, pro- sexuality problems no pregnant unwed mothers no divorces no whatever you don't have that That where you can disagree with 40 days focusing on an institution that God ordained at creation. Only two things. The Sabbath and the family. And God established the family before he gave us the Sabbath. That's how important it is. And then those two things, to make sure we didn't forget about them, he encompassed them in the Ten Commandments. Did it at creation, then put it in the Ten Commandments to show you that he really means business about protecting the Sabbath, but protecting the family. So there wouldn't have been any need for this. If everybody was exactly doing what they needed to do. But it's not happening. And I'm not making this presentation for you to become disconcerted about your church. I need you to understand that we're living in end times. And if you're reading your Bible, if you're starting with your Bible and you're reading that consistently, the Bible predicts the condition... A people within the church towards the end of time. The Bible, Ella White also gets more specific about some of the things that are going to be happening. So in my mother's day, in the day in which I grew up in the Adventist Church, there were some things that we worry about now that they didn't have to worry about. But it's a new day, my brothers and my sisters. And if you continue to ignore the fact that it's a new day, your existence as a church will be very, very limited and your outreach will be limited. You just can't bring people in, preach to them about the, about the, the, the doctrines, the 27 beliefs, and then send them out with the problems that people are facing nowadays. That's right. That's right. You can't do it. Because you have the same old issues still. For many a year we would preach and and some people would still go back to go home to shacking up. Because you haven't given them a solution on how to be free from that. How to be free from some of these addicting things. So we want to talk a little bit about church misconduct. Who's the church? I am the church. You are the church. Specifically, we've been talking about, for these last few days, we've been talking about when, when, when our sexuality gets out of hand or gets out of control or, or, or when we have problems dealing with it. But you know, when you don't address your issues, they not only become issues for you, they could become criminal issues. They could become criminal issues. They could become public issues. They could become financial issues. They could become mental health issues. They also could become safety issues. So it's the proverbial elephant in the, w- in the room That some of us never want to talk about. But we have a duty to protect. And the law imposes this. That you have a duty to protect the children and all attendees from harm and abuse at our churches and our schools. So the first time that I walked into Glenville to come to church... And I think the first time I ever did that was when my son got married. When Myron got married, it was my first time coming here. Ten years ago, right, Myron? But everybody that comes inside, we have a duty to protect them from harm and abuse. We have a duty to protect church employees. And volunteers who work with kids and other ministries from false accusations or from being attacked themselves. The law implies a duty on you. So I ask you a question. What can happen to happy children at your church? Have you thought about it? What can happen to children here at Glendale? Glendale, I'm sorry. Most of you have read the headlines. And you say, why is not she come presenting this stuff to us? We're not Catholic. <laughs> but despite the headlines that focused on the Catholics and the priests pedophilic problem in the Roman Catholic Church, most, most American churches are being hit with child sexual abuse allegations and regular sexual abuse allegations. Protestants and most alleged abusers are not clergy and staff, but they're what we call volunteers. And what is a volunteer? Not somebody who walks off the street and says, I want to sweep your floor, or want to do whatever. Every time you have nominating committee and you select officers, those folk are volunteers. Surveys suggest that there is about 70 abuse incidents in churches in a given week, and it's more than that now. Most of the sex offenders that they catch are let go, and they represent three to one. Three are outside the jail, and one's inside. There are more offenders out of jail than in. Same thing. Most of them are out on parole or on probation. They're under this conditional supervision in the community. So if they're in the community, they're in the church. Volunteers are more likely than clergy or paid staff to be abusers. Even though we want to quickly blame the the priest and the pastor. But the most startling is children at churches are also accused of sexual abuse as often as clergy and staff. But we tend to lend a deaf ear to that. We don't pay attention to whatever until it happens to want our granddaughter or our son. I don't care who it is. I don't want another kid molesting Taylor or Camden. I don't want anybody doing it. Forty-two percent of alleged child abusers were volunteers and 25 percent were paid staff, clergy, children. This is from your church. This is from the general conference, from the SDA church manual. Today, the ideals that make social relationships safe and happy are breaking down to an alarming degree. Ideals. And folk who protest about this kind of thing are living in an idyllic world. They're not living in Cleveland, Ohio in 2011. Under the influence of passion unrestrained by moral and religious principle, social interaction has, to an alarming extent, degenerated into freedom and license. I can do whatever I want to do. No restrictions on what I need to do. Because we're so bombarded with sexual mores, and sexual ideas. We don't understand how much we're affected by it. So it's forming what we think. It's interesting to, to listen to single, older adults, and I'm talking about adults that are, that are single and older, 30 and over, who may have been married or who may have had relationship, where they feel entitled to have a sexual life. I've heard the talk. Why? Because society has told us that's what you're supposed to be doing, whereas the Bible tells us something else. We Where the the enemy strikes the most is at telling us that what is going on in the world, the standards of the world, should be ours. And because we're exposed, we believe that. We don't think. We just go along with what the world is doing. Sexual perversions, incest, Sexual abuse of children prevailed to an alarming degree. Millions have abandoned Christian standards of conduct, and I'm reading the church manual still, and are bartering the sweet and sacred experiences of marriage and parenthood for the bitter, remorseful fruits of lust. I'm reading from your church manual. Some of you come to your meetings with it. It sits in your homes next to your Bible. But that's what I'm reading. There's sex in the church manual. You know why? Because the brethren know the deal. They get a report of the kind of lawsuits the Adventist church is getting, and they know that all is not well. Broken homes have left its members defenseless to the control of the enemy. The way the devil works, the devil wants to isolate us and get us all by ourselves, break up the family, which God ordained to, to leave us protected, to leave us supported. So once he's broken up the family... And alienated us from our support system, it's left the members defenseless and in the control of the enemy. That's why family was important. Split it right down the middle. Still reading the church manual. Not only are these evils damaging the family home and structure of society, but the breakdown of the family in turn fosters and breeds these and other evils. That's your church manual saying that the breakup of the family and the destruction of the structure of the home is causing the problems that we face. The results in distorted lives of children and youth are distressing and evoke our pity, while the effects on society are not only disastrous, but cumulative. So you never thought that your own personal decision would someday cause an issue as big as that. Still reading. These evils have become more open and threatening to the ideals and purposes of the Christian home and church. Threatening to Glenville. That's why the Holy Spirit encouraged 40 for the family. Because the very existence of your church is threatened when you have these issues. Adultery, sexual abuse of spouses, and we, talk, we saw that lady last night, incest, sexual abuse of children, homosexual practices, and lesbian practices among the obvious perversions of God's original plan. Still reading the church manual. Some of your favorite book. <laughs> <laughs> certain sections. A certain section. <laughs> As the intent of clear passages of scripture is denied and their warnings are rejected in exchange for human opinions, much uncertainty and confusion prevail. And where we've got to be very, very careful is when you support or oppose something, you're doing it based on what you remember or based on your history or based on how you feel. There's a problem with that, because how much do you know about what's going on, not only in the worldwide church, but do you know everything that's going on in your church? Because I'm about to tell you some things, and you're going to wonder if you do know what's going on in your church. what is conduct of a sexual nature? It changes with the times. <laughs> sexual misconduct is a fact. It's not something I'm standing up here imagining or exaggerating. But there's two types of of sexual inequities. In the legal profession, we have two types. There's sexual harassment and there's sexual misconduct. And I know most of you, if you work for secular institutions, you've learned about sexual harassment, what it is and what it isn't. I've taught the classes for several corporations. Unwelcome behavior of a sexual nature, whether the behavior is written, verbal, or physical. We have quid pro quo, hostile environment, two types. Quid pro pro, pro quo, you give me something, I give you something. That's in essence what it is. Favors in exchange for submission to unwelcome sexual conduct. Hostile environment is conduct of a sexual nature, sufficiently s- severe, persistent, or pervasive, and it's unwelcomed. That's the key word, unwelcomed. But there are some situations where the law says you don't have the capacity to determine whether it's welcomed or not. And that's in the case of Children. The law says you don't have the maturity or the authority to welcome the behavior, even though you may. Verbal forms, and there are verbal forms of sexual harassment. Things you say can be sexual harassment. The, the, the sexual or gender-based jokes, you know, honey or sweetie or babe, you, you're using terms like that in, in addressing someone to demean or degrade. Wolf whistles, and you know people used to do that. That's inappropriate. Or making derogatory noises when you see a person. Rumors about a person's sex life. When we want to sit around and talk about what we heard Sister so-and-so-and-so was doing and who she was doing it with, that's a form of sexual harassment. Wow. Wow. Comments about a person's body. Oh, honey, I like Sister, Sister Edmund's legs. she got nice legs. <laughs> if the shoe fits... Derogatory comments based on gender, sexual jokes, spreading sexual rumors, including remarks about sexual orientation. And I know what the Bible says about sexual orientation and I believe it. But as a Christian, you should not be talking about these people in a derogatory way. Some places now it's against the law sexually insulting remarks about gender, demeaning nicknames like chick, sexy, stud, or babe, homophobic names calling like fag, dyke, lesi, queer, cat calls, bragging about sexual prowess for others to hear. And you know, sometimes we need to, in dealing with our young people, tell them that talking about what they did is inappropriate. Because if you hang around young people, they talk about that. Pressure for sexual activity or dates. It used to be you could put the pressure on and keep asking and keep asking, but in a, especially in a work environment or in a school environment, if that person said no to you twice, you better move on and pray. <laughs> Pray that they'll wake up. Visual forms of sexual harassment. Posters, cartoons, pinups. And, it, you know, it used to be the people were sending that junk back and forth on the Internet. Computer graphics. But I'll tell you this. Most companies now, listen, you think a Big Brother is not watching? If you're on their computer, they open up and look and see what you're doing. I guarantee you. I can almost promise you that they are. Offensive models, statues, and figurines. I'll never forget I was working for this corporation and the VP had this big, huge picture on his wall of his wife in a bikini. He was proud of her. I had to go in and tell him he had to take her off and take her home. (laughs) Appropriate for their bedroom but definitely not appropriate for work or for public consumption. Amen. Touching one's own bo- clothes or body in a sexual way. Names written on walls or desks that says for a good time call so and so and so. <laughs> Physical forms inappropriately touching another person and we do that in church you got to be very very careful. There's a proper way to do that. Your kiss, your hug need to be holy. And some of them aren't holy. grabbing and fondling and rubbing up against a person, massaging or stroking another person, or stalking a person. Let me tell you, these, are, these can be criminal offenses. Wake up. You know, when I, when I hear of people getting into difficulty for these kind of things, I'm saying, where have you been for the last 20 years? But I guess my brothers who come before me says that they there are problems that some people can't control themselves, but the law is now adjusted to help you try to control it. My <laughs> Lord. <laughs> Staring, physical gestures that have a sexual connotation, suggestive looks and facial expressions that have sexual implications. Blocking the pathway of another to make a sexual advance. These don't constitute sexual harassment. Pulling off someone's clothes, pinching or touching buttocks or genitals or breasts, forcing sexual conduct. These are not sexual harassment. These, are, these actions are called sexual abuse. It rises to a higher level. Sexual harassment could get you a warning. Sexual abuse could get you in jail, you know, with the church having to endure a heavy lawsuit. Sexual misconduct is unlawful, abusive, physical conduct of a sexual nature. It could be conduct between an adult and a minor or it could be between an adult and another non-consenting adult. And see, some of us have it in our heads that because a person is over 18, that I can do this, that, and the other. But like I said before, unwelcomed. Now, I can imagine how God feels. The Bible says children are an heritage of the Lord. When he puts beautiful children here on this earth and they end up being treated the way some of us treat children. Some people will never be able to relate to God To serve God, to give their lives to God, until they go through some support from some therapist because of what somebody, some adult, or some other child has done to them in their childhood. Because they go through life thinking, what kind of God would allow this to happen to me? Children are not built with a sense to understand sexual conduct. When sexual conduct happens to them before maturity, they process it in such a way that it is damaging. Because God put it on this earth for some of us have problems dealing with it and we're old as the hills. children have a hard time processing what adults do to them so they grow up with distorted personalities based on what happens to them because they begin to feel dirty they begin to feel threatened so in essence what we do is we ruin a life because we don't have any control. Sexual abuse is fondling, intercourse, assault, rape, incest, pornography, exposure, or any other behavior directed towards a child designed to sexually gratify the adults. You know, um, I have a book at home that I bought many years ago It's called Sins of the Father. Anybody in here know about that book? Did somebody raise their hand? You know the book. Seventh-day Adventist book. And I'm amazed that it was written so long ago. But it's the book written by I don't know who, but it's of a Seventh day Adventist elder in an Adventist church who was abused, sexually abusing children. A matter of fact, abusing his own children and anybody else's children. Let me go on through here and then I'll. Here are some of the things that could lead to sexual abuse at church counseling. Especially if people not baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit or they're dealing with issues from their past. Counseling. I have seen lawsuits that we've gotten as a church where the relationship started out one person counseling another one. The recommendation that the church has, if you're going to do cross-gender counseling, either have a glass door, Or crack the door and leave it open. Or if you feel you're going to have a problem, uh, assign that to someone else. Counseling situations. I can name incidents. Adults working together in church activities. Understand how the enemy, it starts out as a wonderful thing. All of these things, Pastor Yolanda. All of these things are some of the positive things. Starts out positive, but the enemy uses them to gain ground. Prayer and Bible study. You say, how in the world? I have seen people justify their sinful behavior by saying, this is what God wants. I remember a situation where uh, this person was, was uh, sleeping with somebody else's wife and, and all the exchange of the letters back and forth is how God brought them together and, and how God must love them and, and looked after us. There is so much stuff that's done in the name of prayer and Bible study. You can have the Bible in your hands, you can close your eyes, but if your heart is, if you're dealing and you're about self and your heart is far from God, it won't mean a thing. You will use that to accomplish your evil purposes. And these men that you see, I mean, these men of God that you've heard this week who put themselves, who've opened themselves up to you, They've shown you relationships formed in pathfinders or youth groups, poorly supervised activities. Poorly supervised activities. Poorly supervised activities. activities. (laughs) And he's on it. Because that's a legal cause of action when it comes down to sexual molestation cases or cases where things happen to children. How much supervision did they have? We're happy about Pathfinders. I grew up a Pathfinder. I'm a master guide, and any time that I get an opportunity to participate, I do. Parents love Pathfinders on Sunday. We can come and drop our kids off and go shopping or go back home and do the laundry or do whatever we need to do. But most of the time we drop them off out front and we keep getting up. Did you check to see if the Pathfinder leader was here? All right. <laughs> Suppose the Pathfinder leader is not here, running late. Got stopped Road under construction or something. And I've looked at your beautiful church. There are a lot of places around here that somebody wanted (laughs) (laughs) Had a situation in another country where two Year old, three-year-old baby was sexually molested in the Seventh-day Adventist church and killed and left in the baptistry. So I'm not up here just trying to scare you. I'm trying to warn you. I'm trying to encourage you how to be intentional about protecting our young people and being safe. Symptoms of sexual abuse in children. You can see signs of sexually uh, transmitted disease, physical signs, pregnancy in a young girl. If a young girl is under a certain age, and I think is 18 here, if she's under a certain age and she's pregnant, somebody committed sexual abuse on her. If she's underage. Because there are statutory rape laws in every state where you cannot engage in intercourse with young people. So if they're under a certain age, you automatically look at it and say, somebody's been abusing this child. If they're knowledgeable about sexual relations, they can talk about some stuff that you never heard before. <laughs> and it puts hair on your chest. Where they report sexual assault, complaints of pain, itching in the genital area, evidence of trauma in the genital area, suicide attempts, or evidence of injury to the genital area myths about child abusers. Child abusers are mentally retarded, drug abusers, dirty old men, insane, gay or lesbian, and you can visually identify a child abuser, forget about it. And this is their strategy. Abusers cultivate relationships with children by identifying emotionally, needy children. And usually in most situations, the the parents are not really involved in the children's life or in the child's life. What they do, pedophiles, they establish relationships with the child's family to gain trust. They initiate contact in situations where no other adult is present or setting up situations where they can be alone with the child. They set the child apart from their peers or siblings and they tell the child that the child is special. They establish peer or buddy relationships with the child. Now. We're in a catch-22 situation, parents or mothers who have sons and they need uh, big brothers or they need role models for their children. You can still have that, but you got to take them through. You just can't look at somebody and say, oh, this person, because I've seen them at church, would be good to help me raise my son. We think that, uh, about, so we think about certain situations, and, and I've been having this all my life, so I know how it works. He comes from another city, and he comes, and he sits in the Sabbath school class, and he studied the Sabbath school lesson. He comes every Sabbath, knows the Sabbath school lesson, and he waxes eloquently about it. He knows Ellen White, he knows scripture, and he really responds to what's going on. So everybody sitting in the Sabbath school class says, who is that new brother? He really knows the Bible. So the teacher's not there that Sabbath, in the adult Sabbath school class. We say, hey, brother so-and-so-and-so, you know the lesson real well. Why don't you teach the lesson for us? We allow him to teach the lesson. He's there for prayer meeting, he testifies, he does all that. So we say to the pastor, boy, that new brother sure know the word. You ought to let him take prayer meeting one night. Well, we let him take prayer meeting. Pastor's impressed. Oh, this fellow does know the word and people are convicted by what he has to say. So the pastor goes on vacation and he asks this person, would you would you preach for us while for me while I'm gone? The pastor's so happy to have a vacation and he doesn't have an associate. Has anybody? The only thing we concern ourselves with is his transfer of membership. That's right. <laughs> We just want to know if he was a member. And most times we haven't checked that. Nobody's picked up to call the former place to say we have so and so and so and so in our church, and can you give us a little history? We wanna we wanna use him in our outreach program. Can you tell us a little bit about him? And I've seen situations like this where they come in. They gain the trust of the church. And months or so later, somebody's molested, somebody's sexually abused. Here's some headlines for you. Church evangelizers prey on low-income children. And it's not just the low-income, but it's children who come from parents who are not paying attention. Baptist volunteer convicted. Church volunteer charged with child pornography. A family in North Carolina sued the Methodist Church, as well as the conference of the Methodist Church, because... They didn't check the history of somebody they allowed to come in. This person knew the person's history and did nothing about it. 14-year-old girl in foster care is raped and impregnated by a deacon. A trusted officer of this church in Maine. Church sued for negligence. One of several girls who said a minister molested her is suing the First Presbyterian Church for failing to check his background before hiring him. The infiltration of sexual deviance into the church and then into the hierarchy created a horrific satanic criminal conspiracy. The very structure of the church makes her vulnerable to that kind of attack. This wholesale evil took the church unaware. And I really like this one. Just as it's the dream of every carn artist to become an accountant, it's the dream of every child molester to become a psychiatrist, clergyman, teacher, the leader, you church worker, church deacon, or elder. Oh, <laughs> Pedophiles seek environments where children assemble with what? Mass. Say it again. Mass. Who's responsible for supervising the children that come into here? And I'm not just talking about the children who are members of this church. Or the children whose parents are members of this church. I'm talking about every child that comes through that door. That's church. I really did grow up in a church where the deacons disciplined us. And told us to go in and sit down and go to church. And and would tell our mama... What we were doing. Now we have a good time here on Sabbath. I always look forward to coming here. And especially when y'all sing that Sabbath song. I never heard that Sabbath song before. It's a beautiful song. I get caught up in it. But while you're in here praising the Lord. And raising your hand and stuff. Where are your kids? All these places you have around in here. Who else walked inside that door with them? While you're in here, all your children should be in here. If they're not going to be in church, if they're not going to be participating in church activities, they're not going to, Jesus is not going to just jump on them for being in the building. So they don't need to be here if they can't be where Now, deacons, I'm not going to jump on you, but there ought to be somebody while everybody's in church. If that door is open and people have access to go and come, there ought to be somebody perusing places where nobody's supposed to be to make sure everybody's safe. Lack supervision. That's why families should be together. Come on, parents, you're the one. You, I mean, my mother had eight children, a lot to count, but she could count her eight. You count your five, you count your three, and you keep up with your three. Don't leave that to somebody else, and don't come in here thinking that just because we're in church, everything is going to be all right. Even though parents should take the responsibility, Glenville, you have a responsibility once they walk in the door. Churches are vulnerable. They're communities of trust. Oh, you know, it's like when we go to camp meeting. I grew up going to camp meeting. As soon as we touched that campground, we were everywhere. We were just having a good time, you know, and, and our parents would let us go uh, to and fro more freely than they would at home because we're at camp meeting, because we're in a community of what? Trust. Trust. But churches are also ignorant of the fact their lack of safeguards. And as I'm presenting, can you think of safeguards you've taken to protect and keep people safe? There's numerous opportunities. Like I said, the pathfinder leader's late, just drop them off. Deacon opened the door, church wide open, and there have been many times, there have been situations where people just don't show up, and you show up at church, and there's a church full of kids, and nobody's here. Easy access, constant need for volunteers to help. People don't want to work with kids anymore. They don't want to go downstairs and work with children. They don't want to work with this, you know, the easiest evangelism. And I found that through my family and through my house is to take people will let you bring their children to church. Mm-hmm. That's, right. That's, true. That's, true. That's right. They will do that. But we have we have gotten to a point, and I know because of the way children have been have not been parented. We don't want to have anything to do with ki- children, but they're not going away, folk. You're gonna always have some children, so you gotta make sure you've got enough volunteers to handle children's programs, instead of having stressing out two people down there trying to keep track of this one, that, and that one, and the other. Are these children part of your responsibility? The brother's hungry. Uh, huh? Must have been who? <laughs> Somebody said it must have been my son. What about these? But we have the ostrich syndrome. We want to believe that nothing happens because we're the church of the last days." Do we have our heads in the sand? Still quoting, here's the North American Division policy. The Seventh-day Adventist Church is committed to providing a safe environment to help children learn to love and follow Jesus Christ. The records show the disturbing and traumatic increase of physical and sexual abuse of children has claimed the attention of our nation, our society, and the church. Adventist churches and schools which conduct programs for children or youth are not insulated from individuals who abuse kids. Public record, I can talk about this one, where we had a church school principal, where people turned their heads, convicted, serving time, abusing one, sexually abusing one of his students. It costs money. Between 86 and 2007, 14.9 million in indemnity and 6.2 million, um, plus 6.2 million, then expenses was 21 million. Indemnity is the insurance part of it. Yeah. That's, how many. That's how much money we spent between that time. What could, you do? what could we do for the cause of God with that kind of money? And I'm talking about the Adventist church. I'm not talking about the priests and the Catholics. Most of them have lost property because of sexual abuse. They've had to sell property, give up churches to pay, because let me tell you how it works. Everybody has insurance. But all of us don't know, don't understand how insurance works. Insurance has a limit. And if a jury comes back and grants an award or a judgment beyond what your insurance is for, where do you think the rest of the money comes from? (laughs) Out of your pocket. (laughs) Average verdict, 600,000. And that's because they've got some good God-ordained attorneys, and God continues to bless and protect his church. But I've seen some awards as high as 1.2, as high as 1.7, Million dollars, some two million dollars. There are some attorneys, after the Catholic situation, there are some attorneys who make their living targeting churches like ours. Because they know we're lax. As a matter of fact, there's one on the internet that said he was coming after Adventists. Average cost to defend you all ask me why I'm a lawyer, but I don't make that, how does this happen in our church, sexual conversation, time alone, improper feelings, flirting, trust, presumed secrecy, improper touching, all of it, you end up some, Sometimes, well, most of the time in section. What can I do? What can we do as a church? Plan. Sit down. Plan. Plan protection. Don't let it hit you by surprise. Plan how you're going to deal with it. Discuss it in your board meetings. Discuss it in your Sabbath school about what are you going to do about children. Discuss it in AY. Plan ahead. Plan the details. Plan for emergency. Plan for contingencies. Let every worker, Ellen White says, in the master's vineyard study, plan, and devise methods to reach people where they are. We must do some things out of the common course of things. Forty for the family. And we want things done the same Cover the same old material. We must arrest attention. We must be deadly in earnest. We are on the very verge of times of the time of trouble and perplexities that are scarcely dreamed of. Ministry can become incredibly complicated, and especially as a church grows. But the task of ministry is not just taking care of church business. There is inherently an element that encompasses these tasks that must be done. Ministering to church member relationships. Ministry. For people who don't want to talk about relationships, who don't want to talk about stuff, ministry is dealing with all this stuff. That's ministry. Children are powerless to defend themselves. If we don't protect them, who will? So here's what we can do. Never leave a child alone or a group of children that I'm responsible for unattended. Have at least two adults 18 years over to help with the supervision of children, and that depends on the number of children you have. You just can't put two in there with over 100 kids and think you got it going on. If I find myself in a situation where I'm the only adult present under no circumstances, will I allow myself to be alone with one child? Always ask a child's permission before you touch them. Even when you're responding to an injury or a problem, and I've watched some nurses in action, some good ones, and as they're beginning to respond to an injured child, they ask the child's permission to be able to touch them. Any area covered by t shirt and shorts, be careful. Refrain from physical and verbal attacks and corporal punishment. Be very careful with that. Affirm children with appropriate touching, keeping hugs brief and shoulder-to-shoulder or side-to-side huggings. You know how to do that? Come on, Sister Cox. <laughs> what do you want me to do? <laughs> what? These people need a, a good demonstration and some hugging. See, one of us, some of us want a hug. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go away. we got to do it right. <laughs> You're a to hug again. This is proper hugging, okay, good. And with the hands not going beyond the shoulder blade here. You know, all of this stuff underneath here is not appropriate. So I'm not hugging appropriately. Yeah, watch where your hands are, Sister Cox. (laughs) Provide care when taking small children to the restroom. Take some precautions, either take an adult or or leave the door so that you're not accused. Be careful with closing yourself off. Cooperate with voluntary screening process. Be aware of the signs and symptoms of abuse, and we talked about that, and the legal requirements Reporting and I checked on Ohio. Ohio is like other states now, everybody has a duty to report abused children. Everybody, I'm almost done. Hmm, yeah, everybody has a duty to report, cooperate with church leadership by being a volunteer who's loving, kind, and children need to see adults who are interested in them because they are interested in their development and not in it for something that they want. Participate in training. Learn the facts, understand the risks, minimize the opportunity, talk about it, stay alert, make a plan, Act on suspicions. Get involved. The danger signals. Adult always alone with the child. Buying things for the child. And see, the two grandchildren that I have right now that I'm raising that were baptized today. They don't bring anything home that's new. That comes from somewhere. And I don't know where it came from. If they come and said, My friend so and so and so gave it to me, I said, Take it back to them. No opportunities. See, as parents, we've abdicated our throne so our children are out there loose and unprotected because we've abdicated. We've just gone along with everything. In a lot of our situations, the children are running the house. Ad- adult always wanted to take the child places. Adult and child stop talking when others are near. Unusual amount of time spent together. Unusual amount of physical contact. The four Ps, personnel, organized program, a premise with good lighting and good private facilities and scrutinize participants. Protect yourself and your organization, never alone, driving to and from events, doors open, two is better. Train all who serve children. Tell them who to call if problems arise. If something happens in this church, do people know who to call? No one should act alone. Know the laws that are in your state. Teach church staff how to respond to incidents that might be questionable. There's no such thing anymore about boys will be boys. That's gone. What to do when an accusation is made? Protect the child from further harm. Don't ever promise to keep it a secret. Listen, but don't interrogate. File official reports promptly. Protect other children from the abuser. Separate the accused from the situation. There should be no confronting of the suspect or the accused until it's ascertained that the victim is safe leave in-depth questioning of the victim and and the suspect to professionals who are trained to deal with this kind of thing realize your limitations victims need counseling by professionals specializing in abuse facilitate healing by withholding blame for the victim had a situation in an Adventist church where there was a girl that was molested by a prominent person in the church. She comes to church. After she reports it, she comes to church that Sabbath. And when she gets to church, the pastor gets up, requests prayer for the, the accused. Says nothing about the victim. Just prayer for the accused. What message is that sending? That he is the one that has the problem, that he's the one that needs to be protected, not the child or not the girl. If you're going to request prayer and don't rush to judgment, do you know how many, what percentage of these situations where children are lying and falsely accusing people? You know what the percentage is? It's like 2% out of a hundred, for those of you who don't get the math quickly. (laughs) And understand about the victim's difficulties in relating to God. Okay, what's going on here? I'm not moving. Can you manually control it? Okay. There we go. Oh, that went to something else. Why is Orlando on the uh, computer? Can you bring me back? I don't know what number. Uh, Keep going. Yeah. Okay, slow it down or am I speeding it up? Handling the perpetrator. You know, don't allow further manipulation by the perpetrator. And here's where we run into difficulty. And I've made this presentation to a room full of clergy. And I've had clergy come up to me and tell me, I know my officers. None of my officers would do this. I didn't want to burst his bubble, so I just allowed him to go ahead and talk. However, we don't know people. You can't even vouch for what your husband or wife would do when they're under the control of a demon. Oh, I've known him all my life. He wouldn't do that. That child fast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That child fast. Yeah. The worst thing you can do to a victim is not believe them and not to give them consideration. You leave them open for abuse. If if the perpetrator is innocent, it'll be proven. But reserve judgment based on your past experience with people. There are many victims of sexual abuse in our churches, both male and female, that are battling with early exposure to, to sexual misconduct. We have a duty to protect our children Children are powerless to defend themselves. If we don't protect them, who will? Let's keep going. That's my disclaimer. But that's where our focus is, is on the cross of Christ. That's where we're all pardoned and redeemed from our sins. We all come to the foot of the cross with problems, with situations. No one should stand in judgment of anybody, but we do what we can to protect When Jesus comes back, will he be able to say to us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I made you ruler. I put you in charge. I made you supervisor over a few things. Now I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. But there are some people who are going to miss out on heaven because of the demonic behavior of someone who probably in their lives were abused themselves. But as a church, remember, as a church, Glenville Seventh-day Adventist Church, you have a duty, you have a legal responsibility to protect children, but even me. Because if I'm walking around up here, somebody, and somebody jumps out on me, what are you doing? I'll never forget when we realized that people were coming into our churches doing offering and, and holding us up and taking the offering. We took precaution. We closed doors and, and found secret rooms for the deacon to go when it was done. We need to take the same kind of initiative to protect People, because people who are sexually abused are limited in their recovery. Are limited in their recovery. They recover, but only by the grace of God. But their response to affection, their response to relationships... Are distorted for the rest of their lives. What are you going to do, Glenville, with the people that God has entrusted to you? Are you going to make it easy for them to someday have all of this wiped away because God's going to erase it from our minds and someday we'll be able to enjoy the kingdom of God. I'm looking forward to that day. God bless you.